Hi, and welcome to episode three of the Saving Green podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to covering environmental and natural resource problems and how they might be solved. Today, we are going to discuss how the Navy's negligence caused jet fuel to leak into municipal water supplies in the state of Hawaii. Before we get started, I want to talk to you about a few places you can follow the Saving Green podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Saving Green Pod. The podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. So if you could leave a like, subscribe, and comment, or a five-star review, it would be much appreciated. If you leave a five-star review, I will read it at the beginning of each show. Uh, so go ahead and give yourself a little shout-out there if you want that. And finally, I have a Patreon you can give to. Uh, if you like the content you hear on this podcast and you want to hear more of it, you can subscribe uh, at a monthly rate. There's a couple different rates starting at $3 a month. So, you know, you don't have to really give that much, but any little bit is definitely appreciated. Uh, I'm trying to keep episodes going bi-weekly, but with a little more financial support, I can definitely try to make it a little more frequent. Uh, Patreon subscribers will also get a shout out at the end of each episode and access to additional content like early episode drops, polls for what future episodes should be about, uh, and other things. It's going to be at uh, patreon.com slash savinggreenpod. All of these links will also be available in the link tree in the episode description or in the show bio, so you can access those at any time. Um, and I've also got a Discord up and running for the community, so if you want to join that and hang out and talk about environmental issues and um, kind of start sharing information with each other and, you know, just learning and hanging out together, that's definitely a good uh, place to start to start doing that. And that's uh, also available in the link tree. Be protected from bombing attacks from any kind of aircraft. And so it is built underground, uh, but it is also built just 100 feet above the main aquifer for the island of Oahu. It is the largest storage facility that the U.S. military has in the entire world, but it's also quite old and has an aging infrastructure problem. Between 1943, when it was constructed, and 2014, over a million gallons of jet fuel have leaked from the ground, according to a KITV investigation, which is a local ABC station, and there are over 77 documented leaks, according to the Navy's own data, and this is based on a report. This is actually a systemic problem within the Navy. A 2009 inspection from the Naval Inspector General found that most overseas naval bases were actually providing unsafe water to the people on base, and also found that 687 military sites uh, have PFAS contamination in or around them. And PFAS is used as a firefighting foam uh, for the Department of Defense. And they are called forever chemicals because they are pretty much impossible to get rid of. Uh, they persist more or less forever. And they have a lot of very negative health effects. Now back to the Red Hill facility specifically. Um, the problem with leaking had been an ongoing problem that the Navy was trying to ignore, essentially. In January of 2014, 27,000 gallons released during a refueling of the tank. And this triggered a local protest where local individuals were calling for Red Hill to be shut down. And it also caused a whistleblower uh, from within Red Hill to come forward with documents showing that the leak might have actually been twice as large as the Navy disclosed. Uh, this whistleblower spoke with Vice News as well. 
The whistleblower provided documentation also showing how the government did not pay for leak detection equipment that was re recommended by a safety and maintenance contractor. Now, this is just negligent considering the amount of fuel that had been known to be leaking from the Red Hill facility already. Um, and so to not invest in this kind of equipment just seems ridiculous. Um, and it just puts, it puts local individuals and their health at risk completely unnecessarily. Another leak occurred in May of 2021, where over 1,600 gallons leaked this time inside the storage facility. In October of 2021, the Hawaii Department of Health actually cited the Navy for five counts of violating safety procedures for the operation and maintenance of the Red Hill fuel storage facility. Uh, the five violations are as follows. The first is the failure to operate and maintain ongoing corrosion protection to metal components. The second is the failure to perform line tightness testing of repaired piping before return to service. The third is a failure to perform an annual liquid tightness test on spill prevention equipment to prevent releases to the environment. The fourth is a failure to perform an adequate visual walkthrough inspection of hydrant pits. And the fifth is the failure to maintain adequate release detection for two double-walled underground product recovery storage tanks. All of these add up. You can see kind of how leaks might be occurring so frequently and maybe some are even going unnoticed uh, because there is, you know, failures to make sure that the, the piping is working and that things aren't corroding uh, and that you are doing spill prevention tests and things like that. And again, this is just a level of negligence that needs to have some kind of consequences where the Navy needs to be held accountable for this because this has severe impacts on local individuals' health because of their negligence. Then, on November 20th of 2021, a massive leak of jet fuel occurred, and this is the one that we're going to be focusing on today. Over 20,000 gallons leaked into the largest aquifer on the island of Oahu, and the Navy did not disclose the leak for 11 days. In fact, the Navy went as far as to deny it after the leak had occurred. When local residents were dealing with contaminated and polluted water and went to complain, they received a message eight days after the spill from Base Commander Captain Eric Spitzer to affected residents saying, there are no immediate indications that the water is not safe. My staff and I are drinking water on base. And that is a quote. In reality, the well had actually been shut down the day before. This is according to an investigation from Al Jazeera News. Military personnel also held a pub public conference where they dismissed concerns of local residents and the severe health consequences that they and their families were enduring. The day after the Navy finally announced that there had been a leak and that the water was contaminated, the Honolulu Board of Water Supply shut down the Halawa shaft, which is the island's largest source of water. Residents were dealing with severe health issues due to the pollution of the water. Two weeks after the spill, a naval report that there were 350 times the maximum allowable levels of jet fuel in the water, and this is even after the allowable level had been raised several months before by the Hawaii Department of Health. 
Ultimately, 93,000 people were affected by the contaminated water supply. The military at first offered service members and civilian employees living near the base alternative housing and covered the cost of hotel rooms for 700 people. And a joint statement from Hawaii Governor and the state's three members of conference asked for the Navy to immediately suspend operations at Red Hill. Investigations found that fuel has been leaking into the soil and groundwater since 2014, and officials are concerned because they're struggling to determine exactly where the fuel is being carried. 6,000 people reported getting sick over that Thanksgiving weekend after the spill alone, with symptoms such as diarrhea, vomiting, hair loss, chemical burns, severe thyroid damage, and others. These were people that lived in homes that were connected directly to the Navy's water systems as well. This is a problem that is still persisting to this day. There is still fuel in some of the water supply and people are struggling to to get it out. It has not been cleaned and so residents are having to use bottled water and not able to use their taps or their showers or any of the, the water that's coming from their home uh, to meet needs like drinking, showering, brushing their teeth, using the bathroom and other things. Residents report that even having contact with the water on your skin can cause severe rashes. And the crisis is affecting children especially badly because they're more vulnerable to health risks and future health complications being affected by the contaminants while they are so young and still developing. The Navy has provided some supplies to local communities, to be fair, such as field showers, laundry services, and bottled water, but it's not enough. We'll get more into the Navy's response in a little bit too, but for now I want to focus a little bit on uh, the island of Hawaii and how people there have been responding. Uh, there's a man named Ernie Lau who is the head of the Honolulu Board of Water Supply who has become somewhat of a pu public figure at the forefront of the fight for closing down uh, this fuel storage facility and also to make sure that they have clean water. And he had to close three of the island's main wells to prevent jet fuel from entering the water systems. And he says that they had been trying to sound the alarm on the situation for eight years. Um, the Navy and municipal water systems are connected to the same aquifer. And so that's why the jet fuel leaking into the Navy's water supply and the aquifer is affecting people as well. Ernie Lau says that they have information showing detection of fuel in the water supply going all the way back to July when he spoke to Vice News. And that's not acceptable because they were lying to people all the way through November about the detection of fuel and just letting it happen. This is not the only spot in Hawaii that has been affected by the military or the Department of Defense. Overall, there are roughly 1,000 military contamination sites in Hawaii and the military is the second largest contributor to Hawaii's economy after tourism. There's a significant amount of Superfund sites, uh, which are contaminated sites that are undergoing cleanup by the EPA. There's a, a number of unexploded ordnance and munitions. There are chemicals. Um, in many ways, it's a continuation of the colonization and occupation of the island of Hawaii by the United States through military force. The U.S. military controls hundreds of thousands of acres on the island of Hawaii, 68% of which was stolen from the native Hawaiian kingdom, 
according to Vice News investigation. And this just connects to United States imperialism and us, again, taking land from native people, taking their resources and making their homes virtually unlivable because of the amount of pollution in this case that is that is going into the systems and this is against the will of the locals they didn't vote for this storage facility to be here they don't want it polluting their water they don't really have a say in it and the navy had so much power to just do whatever they wanted for so long and they weren't being checked properly they weren't being stopped from their negligence of not installing proper safety equipment or doing proper safety inspections um, and so that's just that's problematic and these kinds of trends need to stop we need to be able to have more accountability for the department of defense and the pollution that they create and we'll get into that specifically a little bit more but for now i want to focus on what has the response by the u.s navy been since the november spill besides trying to cover it up, but after the information came out, what was their response to try to mitigate the situation? And the first thing that they did was something that they called flushing, which is basically just turning on all the water in people's homes and letting it run. And their idea here is that they are taking the water that has the fuel in it and letting it run through, and then it clears it by and boom, there's no more, there's no more water anymore. But the problem with that is the water itself is also contaminating the infrastructure that it's going through, like the pipes. And when water keeps passing through the pipes, it's go the jet fuel will continue to leach out. When you have 350 times the allowable level and, you know, 20,000 gallons spilling at a time, it's going to, it's just going to happen. And the flushing was not successful at removing the jet fuel from the water. For a long time, the Navy's plan was just to continue flushing buildings and in a way, this is just oh, uh, something they can do to make it look like they're trying to do something without having to actually address the root of the problem. Um, the Navy did not replace any infrastructure like pipes that were affected, despite the fact that they could still be contaminated and leaching jet fuel into water that passes through them. In federal court, the federal government has agreed it was negligent and caused injury but the proceedings are ongoing to determine the scope of harm and monetary damage. And recently, three naval commanders have been summoned before a grand jury and could face criminal charges. It is believed that these investigations are going beyond the November leak and looking into the failures to maintain and repair the facility that had been ongoing for years. Now, this trial itself could take a very long time, so we might not know the results of it for potentially a few years, even. Another legal action that's coming through is on Tuesday, May 30th, documents were filed to depose Admiral Salmon Paparo, the commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. Plaintiffs are trying to get him to speak under oath, but had to file this motion to try to get him under the stand because he, because he has not been willing to speak on the record. Uh, but the federal government is trying to fight against that because they do not want him to be questioned under oath as well. These recent trials and proceedings are all taking place this year of 2023, um, but it took about a year for the Navy to promise to close the Red Hill fuel site. 
On December 22nd of 2022, the Navy requested a closure-in-place plan for the fuel storage facility, according to Hawaii Public Radio. Uh, it's estimated that the project will cost about $119 million, and it is scheduled to be completed in January of 2024. Very recently, the Navy also reached an agreement with the EPA in terms of the process that they're going to go through to shut it down and making sure that it is environmentally safe. The goal of the plan is to remove over 99% of the fuel by just letting it run by gravity. And another operation is allegedly being planned to remove the remaining 400,000 gallons that would be left, but details have not come out about that specific operation to remove the last bit. Before defueling can take place, more than 250 repairs need to be made to this World War II era facility. 181 have been completed, and so the Navy does say that it is on track. But at the same time, these repairs have not been seamless, and the shutdown process has definitely not been seamless either. In November 29th of 2022, the EPA was notified of a release of aqueous film-forming foam, or uh, firefighting foam, within the Red Hill fuel storage facility and the surrounding environment. This relief released roughly 1,300 gallons of PFAS chemicals, which persist forever and can cause negative health effects. The Navy claims that there were no impacts to water or soil, but at this point, there's no reason to trust the Navy's claims without an independent third party verifying test results or doing independent testing. Without some kind of peer review process or some kind of checks, we don't really at this point have reasons to trust the Navy's data and information, considering how they'd been lying to the public for such a long time. Overall, this fuel leak is clearly an environmental justice disaster. 93,000 people were affected, with many being hospitalized and becoming extremely sick, having to take numbers of prescription medications due to the exposure of these chemicals. And these kind of failures need to be prevented in the future. We can't just keep allowing water resources in the United States to be contaminated and then we don't do anything about it. We saw this in East Palestine, we've seen it in places like Flint, Michigan, and it is a disturbing trend that has been developing in the United States. In this specific instance, with it being a Department of Defense operation, there need to be real systems of check and controls for local and state governments who are being adversely affected by military pollution. This means that if a town or a municipality is next to a military base and their water or their soil or whatever is being polluted by PFAS chemicals or jet fuel, then the local and state governments are able to step in and impose harsh fines, criminal penalties, and impose severe regulations for increased safety of equipment and preventing leaks and things like that in the future. Additionally, this specific instance at the Red Hill facility needs to be made an example of, and we need to hold the commanders who lied to the public and did not make plans to clean the spill at all. Uh, we need to hold them accountable with jail time. Um, if a private citizen had dumped thousands of gallons of jet fuel into a waterway, they would absolutely be facing prison time. But just because someone is a high-ranking military official does not shield them from the law, and they need to face the consequences of their negligence having severe effects on literally thousands of people, dozens of thousands of people.
fines and fees that would be collected from the military in pollution cases like this could also be invested back into local communities so that they can shore up their own water infrastructure to have better systems of filtration or to do soil remediation projects or whatever might need to be done. In addition to more local and state government oversight, there need to be more oversight and safety checks being done by the EPA itself. We can't just wait for these disasters to happen. We need to be more proactive about it. And so the EPA needs to be going into military bases and doing comprehensive checks on different conditions and seeing, on how, seeing how pollution is affecting local communities as well. And if there are issues that are found, they need to be resolved immediately. We can't just wait for, for things to happen and then say, oops, are bad, we'll clean it up, I guess, maybe in a few years. That's not acceptable. Third-party investigations should also become the norm. In academia, in literature, and science, it is so normal to have peer-reviewed work where you have to submit your information and you have to have your information verified by people who are also experts in your field. And so that should be the exact same thing for the safety checks that these organizations are undergoing. Information and data that's published by the Department of Defense needs to be verified by third-party independent organizations who are not, their funding is not tied to whether or not they clear the Department of Defense. Uh, they get it no matter what, and there are protections so that there can't be donations being made, um, things like that. Local universities could also get involved as they tend to have access to a number of researchers and scientific equipment, um, people who are more academically focused and more serious about that kind of peer-reviewed process. All findings, communication, and other related information that's found during any investigations also needs to be made public immediately. People have a right to know what's in their water. People have a right to know what's in their soil. And hiding that information from them is not okay because it has real consequences when people are being hospitalized, when people are becoming sick, and you're hiding the fact that you have polluted their water because it makes you look bad. There also needs to be increased oversight on the construction and maintenance of these facilities. The EPA needs to be going in on a regular interval. Local and state governments need to be going on a regular interval. And it, the, they can't just allow the Navy to ignore safety recommendations like they did with third-party contractors, in this case uh, at Red Hill, where they did not install the leak protection things. Um, and they were also cited for multiple failures to, to do regular maintenance. But there was not enough follow-up on that to make sure that they were really doing it. They were just cited, they were fined, and it kind of moved on. And this is a really serious problem, not just in Red Hill, but in the entire country and globally, because the U.S. Department of Defense is one of the largest polluters in the entire world, if not the largest, and it is certainly the largest within the country. It has more Superfund sites than any or other organization, and these sites need to be cleaned and cleared of contamination immediately. Um, and additional protections need to be provided to communities that are nearby these sites so that they have buffers to protect them from potential pollution, leaks, etc. We need to be investing real financial resources into this, which is not unreasonable considering the massive 
over $800 billion budget that the U.S. Department of Defense has, they should be able to invest a little bit of money into the health and safety of the people that they say that they're trying to protect. Additionally, the military needs to phase out the use of PFAS firefighting foams and is an epidemic. In June of 2022, a Department of Defense study found that at least 12 military bases have been contaminating local water supplies. Additionally, the U.S. military is the world's biggest greenhouse emitter. It makes up 80% of federal fossil fuel usage. The military releases more carbon emissions than 140 countries combined, according to a 2019 report from Boston and Brown University research researchers. Between 2001 and 2017 alone, the Department of Defense was responsible for emitting 1.2 billion metric tons of greenhouse gases, or the equivalent of the annual emissions of 257 million cars. If the entire point of the U.S. military is to ensure domestic security, then these kinds of things, this kind of massive amount of pollution needs to be changed. We cannot allow the military to pose a massive threat to our natural resources and be such a huge contributor to climate change, which is one of the most existential threats to humanity at large right now. This is on the level of an act of international crime because it also has severe consequences for the rest of the world. If you are emitting more than 140 countries combined, then these 140 countries are facing much larger consequences in comparison to the amount of greenhouse gases that they emit than the United States. It's not fair for a country that has such a low greenhouse gas footprint to be adversely affected by a country that is just willingly polluting the atmosphere and polluting the water. Considering that in 2023 alone, the Department of Defense is receiving $816.7 billion and that the U.S. military outspends the other top 10 largest militaries in the world combined, they need to invest in reducing their greenhouse gas emissions. It, if they just keep producing these vehicles and planes and tanks and everything that run on just gas, it's going to have severe consequences as they just continue to pollute and pollute and pollute. You cannot keep the country safe by polluting and contributing to climate change. Full stop. That's why the military has to adopt severe greenhouse gas reduction strategies or face severe penalties, such as fines and criminal penalties. Bringing the issue back to Red Hill specifically, the military needs to invest in replacing water infrastructure that has been affected by the leaks. They need to replace any pipes or systems that the jet fuel may have contaminated and local water agencies should receive funding from the federal government to install high quality water cleaning and filtration devices like reverse osmosis or granular activated carbon to remove remaining jet fuel from the water and protect citizens health. Systems like reverse osmosis in particular are extremely effective at removing pollutants and just giving you pure water, but they are also very expensive, and so they, uh, a local water municipality would likely need help from the outside in some way, uh, funding-wise, to be able to afford it. And that's exactly where the military can come in and correct their mistakes and do the right thing. Again, with such a massive budget, the military should be able to put money aside for the people that they are negatively affecting, their own citizens, who are they, their water they are poisoning, so that they can actually provide domestic protection for people because natural resources is part of keeping people safe. 
water is life, and without clean water, you, ha you can't exist. Another option that I would really like to see pursued is to give communities a stronger say in how their natural resources are used, and whether military bases are even allowed to operate there in the first place. The military should not be able to divide defy public will and build installations where the public does not want them. This should be held to a general vote in areas where this might become a contentious issue and where people want to lobby to get that on the ballot. If communities vote for military bases to leave or not be installed, then the military must abide by that. We live in a democracy and the will of the people is what is important. And if you want to make a safety argument, you know, these military bases are helping keep people safe. Well, they need to actually do that by not polluting people's resources and allowing them to live without getting tragically sick. And that is a great way to keep people safe, in my opinion. It is an authoritarian practice to use military force to occupy and pollute natural resources. And this practice needs to stop. This should not exist in the United States. We should end these imperialist practices. Now, you might be wondering, what can you do to help this situation? How can you get involved? And there's a couple ways that you can do this. The first is to tell people about this story. Make sure that it does not disappear. Tell people about it and why it is so problematic. Another thing you can do is to support organizations that are ongoing legal battles to shut down Red Hill. Uh, for example, the Sierra Club has filed multiple lawsuits on behalf of local citizens. You can also support local organizations providing aid, like Oahu Water Protectors. Uh, they are at oahuwaterprotectors.org. And they also have resources to find out what happened. They have a timeline. They have a little bit of information about what kind of work is still being done. You can contact your federal legislatures, uh, legislators and tell them to reduce the Department of Defense's budget and prioritize preventing and cleaning up pollution in communities that have been affected by the DOD. You can also stay up to date on the story by following community organizers on social media. Uh, Ernie Lau, for example, is the head of the Honolulu Board of Water Supply and has been working hard at the forefront to protect the water supply and shut down Red Hill. Um, yeah, but just keep yourself updated on this story because it is still going on. Um, the facility has not been cleared out entirely. The water supply has not been completely cleaned. The water infrastructure has not been replaced. Um, so there are still a lot of steps. There are the ongoing legal battles where possibly naval commanders might face, face legal challenges. So just keep yourself up to date on it. Keep yourself educated. And uh, again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm very excited to get this show off the ground, and I really appreciate the support that I've received. Again, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Saving Green Pod. Uh, you can follow the... you can contribute to the Patreon, patreon.com slash savinggreenpod. If you really enjoy the content on this show and you want to put a little bit of money towards actually making sure that it keeps going, um, I'm doing this pretty much for free right now, but it would be great to have a little bit of income out of it, and then I can make it a little bit more of a priority and a focus and keep doing increased reporting and increased journalism on different stories uh, that are continuing to adapt, evolve, and new ones that come out every day at sometimes um yeah go ahead and rate us on spotify apple podcasts wherever you are listening um it really helps the show and i'll, I'll read out any reviews that we get and i'll also give shout outs to any patreon subscribers at the end of the show you can expect a new episode in about two weeks 
Uh, the topic is to be determined, but I'm looking forward to releasing it and to hearing back from all of you. Thanks again. This is the Saving Green Podcast.